Everything on par. Be there! Scour the spaceways! Explore vast alien worlds! The tin right here contains the whole rigmarole. I used to smoke about an ounce of hash every day. And it made me go a little bonkers. Baby, if I occupy his mind with more duties, I can control his space. Hi. Big fat Hi. doobies. Hi. Hi. Oh, hi. What's up? Welcome. Today is Tuesday, July 26, 2016. This is episode 183 of the Hotbox. I'm Matt Lee. Of course, hotboxpodcast.com. You can check out all the shows there. Hotboxpodcast.com slash live. It's where you can watch these live shows, you know, when Hangouts is uh, working and decides to, to play nicely with everything. Got a cool show for you guys today. We're going to interview Max Montrose, president of the Tricome Institute. Uh, if you guys didn't know, the Tricome Institute off of their website says they're a leader in cannabis education. Uh, all Tricome products are backed by world-leading experts in cannabis law, science, and medicine. Uh, Max Montrose, he's the cannabis the blah, canopies, the cannabis industry's authoritative voice and a key educational advisor to the government, business, and public sectors for cannabis-related projects. Uh, Max specializes in cannabis safety, education, and awareness. He works with lawyers, doctors, and scientists in the cannabis industry to understand, discover, and educate all the people about the truth of the plant. So, without any further ado, we'll give uh, Max a call here and get him on the horn. Hey, Max, you're live on the hot box with Matt. How you doing? Good, Matt. How are you? I'm excellent. Good day in Washington. Sun's out. Can't complain. So I was mentioning that you're the president of the Tricome Institute, and the Tricome Institute does uh, some online classes as well as in-person classes, bud tender certifications, stuff like that. Um, How did you get started with the Tricome Institute? Well, um, I actually started the Tricome Institute, and I did primarily out of – the, the pure necessity that, the, that something like the Tricome Institute needed to exist in this industry and in this time period. Um, for the sake of the type of cannabis education and information that exists in the industry and in the public within society. Um, there's so much cannabis information that exists in our world that is just completely wrong. Um, across the board, within medicine, science, business, genomics, horticulture, so many different things. And so um, I really believe that it was necessary to produce a cannabis education company where all of the information provided would be reviewed and approved by world-leading authorities uh, within cannabis law, science, and medicine to confirm that the information is true but also make sure that it's relevant and realistic. Um, There's lots of cannabis education and information out there that comes from people in the professional world, medical or scientific, that don't really know anything about cannabis products or extraction methods or or those types of things, and uh, and vice versa. There's so many people in the industry who know so much about the products and the business but don't really understand Um, some of the more complicated and technical medical and scientific aspects. So we're kind of a bridge between the two worlds. That's cool. It's it's interesting to me how much like uh, urban legend and internet lore is associated with cannabis. I mean, it's something that's been illegal for so long as a Schedule One substance, yet a substance that 
so many people take on the daily basis, illegal or legal. And like you, you always hear just these weird rumors or this is where this strain came from. And this is how these uh, cannabinoids are, are dealing in your, your receptors and everything. And as the normal consumer, it is hard. And I mean, you could search on the Internet and get buried for days in reading uh, all this info. And who knows what's true and what's not. So it's good that there is a, a company and a, a university of sorts like uh, the Trichome Institute doing some sort of standardization. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, the, the question that many people ask, which is a very good question, is, you know, if your information is so true and so accurate and so relevant, where does it come from? Um, and where, where it doesn't come from is the Internet. Right. Uh, Do you fill them in on the scientific uh, process and everything? Yeah, I mean, my 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 approach is is simple, which is don't take any information from stoner forums or cannabis <laughs> schools that that claim that they know what they're talking about without backing it up. Right. Why don't you get the information from the number one head scientist? in that division and area of science themselves. And, you know, when it comes to cannabis biology um, and botany and trichome botany, uh, that would be Paul Mulberg. If it's cannabinoid pharmacokinetic pharmacology, that's Dr. Franjo Grottenherman. Um, if it's terpenes, that's Ethan Russo. If it's cannabinoids, that's Dr. Raphael Mishulam. I mean, uh, if it's, you know, cannabis genomics, it's Rob Clark. Um, this is who you know, I take my information from, it's the number one most intelligent, most published, trusted author within that type of information within the industry that I extrapolate from. But what I do is I rewrite the information in a digestible format because for most um, new people, novices, bud tenders, the, the work that we're, we're working off of is sometimes Chinese to them. Right. Um, and so we kind of just digest it and break it down in a, in a more easy, uh, easy to understand format. It's definitely hard to get people to read uh, like a, an actual published research paper, let alone like getting past the abstract and all that. You, you definitely need people out there kind of intermediating these uh, between the scientists and the end user. And like you said, the bud tenders and everyone working in the industry. And it's so yeah, I feel like beforehand yeah. you didn't really have that sort of access because unless they were in another country that was more lenient with their cannabis laws, people weren't coming out and being like, look at all this amazing research I'm doing on cannabis. You know, they would get arrested, it, it seems like. But nowadays it is getting more and more open and, and the, the state of everything is starting to relax a little bit depending on where you live. So we can have experts in these fields emerge and be like, hey, it's not science if you're not writing it down and I've been writing it down this whole time so come, you know, come peer review this well, let me I'm going to say a few things to what you just said um, one is you know, I don't have to explain, well maybe I do have to explain, I hope I don't have to explain um, how, how stupid the United States of America is when it comes to what science is Right. Um, you know we're the only country in the world that that measures length or distance 
in a bizarre and complicated way that doesn't make sense. <laughs> same thing as measuring temperature. Yep. Um, same thing as, I mean, we're just stupid when it comes to how we go about science. And the thing about, and the thing about science is science is supposed to be science globally. That's what science is supposed to be by definition is what, whatever this country you know, if they do an experiment and they come out to a consistent answer time and time again within a specific uh, methodology, it's scientifically proven um, unless it's from the viewpoint of the United States of America. Right. And so, um, you know, people in the U.S., doctors, senators, legislators will tell you we have no science on medical marijuana and there's no, you know, human trials. And it's like, well, that's a big heap of bullshit. Yep. <laughs> Are you kidding me? <laughs> yeah. uh, what about the thousands of human trials from all of the science that's been proven to be true in all the countries who don't go about science stupid? So, you know, when I said Ethan Russo, that's Europe. That's the UK. When I said Brando Gronherman, that's Germany. Raphael Mishulam, that's Israel. Um, the rest of the world has plenty of science on how medical marijuana works and how medically beneficial it is. And we do have human trials and we do have evidence. We as Americans refuse to believe it, uh, maybe because 50% of our country uh, political leaders think that global warming isn't even real. Oh my I mean, goodness. Uh, this country really does have its head shoved up its own ass. I feel like it's, it's uh, they only <laughs> recognize the science if it's in line with their beliefs. And beliefs are hard to change, you know? <laughs> or their or, profits. Yeah, yeah, or their profitability. Definitely. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. And Thank you for letting me get that out. Absolutely. No, I, we need more of that out there so people can start to wake up. Definitely. Where yeah. did all of our science go exactly? We have scientists. Where? What are they? They doing? They're not doing this. I mean, some are now, but. Well, it depends who writes their check. That's that's the difference right, between right. you know whether it's it's real science or fake science. That's true. You can make the numbers say anything if your uh, check is written properly enough. And that's definitely not real science in what we hold to be true as science and the scientific method and all that stuff. So uh, it is interesting to see that applied to cannabis. And I mean, back in the day when I was a kid, like it was just you got whatever was there and you didn't know anything about it other than what your friend told you. We're studying this now and finding out there's terpenes and an entourage effect and all of this interesting offshoot niche sciences from this one plant. It's really amazing. Agreed. So you guys have something called uh, interpening? Is that, am I pronouncing yeah. that right? Well, uh, we pronounce it interpening. Interpening, um, gotcha. And, yeah, and so, you know, um, the, what it is is um, it, it is the supreme expertise and understanding of cannabis similar to a wine sommelier, a beer cicerone, a cheesemonger, a coffee cupper, a tobaccoer, <laughs> a chocolatier, a honeyer, people who have spent more than a decade fine-tuning their expertise within a craft um, that goes far and beyond most people's general understanding. Really training um, their senses and everything to be able to pick apart different, as far as like wine uh, people and even cannabis now. Correct, correct. And so, um, you know, when I was coming up with the name, 
I, I did what a lot of people are doing now, which is trying to associate a word of cannabis with some word that is similar to sommelier. So you have cannabiers or ganja, so I, I don't know. There's, there's, Can, I've heard can of of sewers. Yeah. <laughs> can of sewers. Yeah, can yeah, of yeah. sewers. Yeah, exactly. All, all these different names. But, sure. Um, years and years ago, when I um, finally decided to package what interpreting was, um, I, I named it interpreting because that's pretty much what it is. We're interpreting terpenes, which is going to allow us to gauge via um, smell the direction of psychoactivity the flower will uh, bring us towards, regardless of the straightening. And this also works in conjunction with flower structure, because flower structure is dependent on um, cannabis variety type, which is dependent on geography and cannabis genomics combined. And so um, the class for level one and level two is a three-hour lecture that really explains what cannabis is. Where does it come from? What is sativa? What is indica? What is ruderalis? Um, why do people believe sativas are sold in dispensaries, even though <laughs> there's good evidence that maybe there's no such thing as sativa right. in the dispensary? That's interesting. Um, and, I've thought that a little bit, yeah. and I've heard other scientists talk about it, and every time I'm in a rec shop doing reviews, people are always like, oh, don't give me this indica because I need this sativa for whatever reason they've rationalized in their head. And I always just think to myself, I, I feel like it's more what your preconceived notions going into it are and what what your surroundings are and what you're doing with it. I can get couch lock smoking any kind of cannabis if I just go sit on the couch. All I have to do is get up and, oh my goodness, guess what? I'm not couch locked anymore. Um, but well, I, I always thought like the sativa and indica difference is more as far as like how it grows and everything, the effects. I, I don't know. Is there any truth to that? Or I mean, yeah. So this is a very sticky conversation. Right. Um, and, and the reason why it's sticky is because to many people, including myself, cannabis, um, is somewhat of a religion in the sense that it's something so dear to us, that's so close to us, that we're so involved in, that it's helped us so much on a daily basis for decades that um, you get offended easily when someone <laughs> raises an idea that goes against what you, what you believe to be true. It, does that make sense? Like yeah, no, that's so interesting that, that you that, say that that, yeah, that, that way Jesus because might not be real. Yeah, yeah, it, it's a little. Yeah, you get a little. You get a little um, on guard quickly. Okay, <laughs> it's so, like what did you just uh, say about my Mary Jane? How dare you? I've been with this woman longer than any real women in my life. Come on. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So when when I'm lecturing a group of uh, people who have been growing cannabis for multiple decades who, um, you know, believe they know absolutely everything that you could ever know about cannabis, <laughs> except they refuse uh, continuing education and picking up newer books that come out because yep. they already know everything. They don't need to, you know, learn more. Um, th these are the types of people who uh, get offended when I propose the idea that sativa might not exist in the way that we think it does. Um, does cannabis sativa exist genomically? Yes. Uh, does cannabis sativa exist within, you know, phenotype and chemotype within its cannabinoid and terpene constituents? Yeah, it, it's a it's a species of cannabis, but it's 
it just so happens to be the genomic species that is uh, hemp inherent and less marijuana inherent. It's, it's NLH, narrowly hemp, not NLD, narrowly drug. And NLD, narrowly drug, is a plant that you believe is sativa because it has thin leaf fingers and it has long internodal spacing and it is a very tall growing plant and when you smoke it, you get high instead of stoned. Uh, but if you were to look at the DNA inside the plant and, and not the strain name, right. um, what you'll find is it's actually an indica species, subspecies indica, which is on one end of the spectrum compared to the variety types that uh, chemically give you the couch lock effect that are the more stone type of plants that have the fatter, wider leaves, the tighter internodal spacing, and the shorter plants that grow thicker, bigger buds. Um, are indica species subspecies Afghanica. And then you actually do have a species of indica, which is a hemp variety, which is indica species subspecies chinensis. Oh, interesting. Uh, and that's a variety type most people have never heard of. Yeah, I have but not. That is, just, that, that, is, that is literally like a sliver right. of what we teach in, in class. I mean, so interpreting is a, is a three-hour lecture on what cannabis is, and I just gave you, you know, two minutes that's um, awesome, though. That like that kind so, of information people need to be exposed to, whether or not they choose to let their ego let go long enough to believe it or to test it themselves or however they you know get past that block. Uh, they, but they correct. people definitely need to hear it. So, are the different effects then? You just transcribe that off to being different terpene and cannabinoid content between the species, or how how does that work then? Well, so how that works is um, variety type effect doesn't really involve cannabinoids. Okay. Um, and it all what it you know what it is is cannabis genomics is DNA, and the DNA is the building block of the plant. And then you know human beings will take that plant and and uh, migrate to the other side of the planet right, with right. it. And now the uh, environment is going to phenotypically shape the plant uh, to be slightly different. And the combination of where the plant grows over a few thousand year period in conjunction with its DNA, the building block within it, will um, produce a, uh, a spectrum of cannabinoids and terpenes that are specific to that variety type. And what it is is it's the cannabinoids that are the engine in the motor and it is the terpenes that steers the wheel. Oh, and so it is the types of terpenes that we can really gauge with our noses quite easily. Mm -hmm. um, what types of smells and also where in your nose you smell these smells. Um, there's a, a fun video of me training Julian Marley. <laughs> uh, how to smell cannabis on our website, trichominstitute.com. If you go to the gallery section in the videos, you can see our little interpreting smelling uh, section. And I also use some of our tools. Uh, we have interactive weed wheels and charts and flip cards and guidebooks that uh, explain all of this stuff and, and instruct you through it that you also get in class as a part of the participation. Uh, we also train with 75 different samples of cannabis flower in class. And not only just good types of cannabis, but also um, cannabis that's infected with different species of molds and funguses so that our interpreters and training can, you know, uh, smell the difference between botrytis scenario versus, you know, a powdery mildew and a jar rot. 
Oh, interesting. Um, and unflushed cannabis, old cannabis, uh, uh, nutrient burn, uh, all sorts of anything you can think of, really. Um, but yeah, it is. It's the the terpenes within the chemotype of the plant that's dictated by where the plant grows, how it grows, and its genetic structure that will gauge how it will make you feel. Um, and there is a definite difference between the pharmacology. So you know. Um, in, in terms of pharmacology and smell, we reference aromatherapy, which is a bona fide medical science and medicine that you sniff, that you inhale. And what happens when you smell lavender is chemically human beings become relaxed and sedated. And that's because the main uh, isomer, the live hydrocarbon chain within lavender, linalool, um, is pharmacologically sedating. Right. And so when you smoke that molecule, the same thing happens to you versus something that's more of a citrus variety type, like a D-lemonine, uh, H-lemonine, N-lemonine, you know, the difference between your mango haze, lemon diesel, uh, grapefruit, whatever. Um, those citruses are chemically uplifting. They're chemically anti-cancerous, antifungal, uh, and antidepressants. And so when you smoke them, you get high and not relaxed, not stoned. Um, and so there is a difference between how variety types affect you and make you feel on a chemical level. And these are things that we can detect with our noses and our sight and our touch and our, and our interpreting understanding, regardless of what strain names are, are called, because at the Tricom Institute, we don't really believe in strain names that much. We do when it's necessary, but majority of the time, it's it's unnecessary. Well, and the majority of the time, it's BS anyway, right? I mean, well, that's what I mean. Yeah, yeah, definitely. <laughs> Bullshit is unnecessary. Absolutely. Just it's yeah. Um, is the effect different as like when you ingest these terpenes or you inhale these terpenes? Uh, as opposed to when you actually smoke them, you're applying heat to it, which is causing, I, I would imagine, some sort of change to the terpene itself. Um, so in that change, does it still do the same thing? Like, does it still have the same effect, or is it different? Yeah, so so the thing is, is you know, you have to um, – we're talking about science here, okay? So 1 plus 1 does equal 2. Terpenes have boiling points. And most terpenes boiling points are generally over 320, 350 degrees Fahrenheit, which is less of a temperature than the, the flame um, that you're applying to your herb when you inhale it uh, via smoke or vapor. Okay. So you're not destroying the terpenes necessarily, especially when they are trapped in the vacuum of you and um, – and whatever you're smoking them through. And so, uh, no, I don't think you're breaking down the terpenes before you inhale them. I think that whatever you could, um, however you could smell them um, and have their pharmacological effect hit you via smell is going to be similar, if not the same, as if and when you smoke it. I see. So it's it's the dose, and at the point of being able to smell them, there's enough parts per million or however you want to measure it to make that difference. Right. And, you know, um, I've, I've worked with a lot of different types of scientists, 
on terpenes before, and I was uh, talking with this one scientist who was doing some terpene experiments here in Colorado. And so he's got these one-gallon jugs of 100% pure terpenes in their in their pure state, and these are essential oils that are very concentrated. And he was telling me some funny stories of like lifting off um, a, a jar of, of myrcene, uh, linalool, and other terpenes that are sedatives, and simply just having the entire room just packed with pungency, almost like clam baking a room, but just right, with the, right. the smell of terpenes, and not really thinking to himself how how serious. Um, the pharmacy of these smells are, mm-hmm. and then finding himself crawling on the floor 15 <laughs> minutes later, forgetting that he left the lid off the terpene jar, oh, no. and he's like wasted in his laboratory because <laughs> these terpenes are so strong in such a large volume that it like just just smelling them affected him in, in that strong way, like couch lock, yep. uh, just just smelling terpenes. That's amazing. No cannabinoid content whatsoever, <sighs> folks. <laughs> Correct. Oh. Was he making like terpene blends or was he trying to extract with them or can you can you say what what the project was? Um there's I can't really say cuz I'm okay. under some contracts yeah, yeah, for enough. different things but yeah there's there's lots of uh terpene science going around the the industry in Colorado right now. Mhm. Same here in Washington. The The key is it seems like everyone's figured out like distillation. They've either figured out short path or they're doing like the thin film wipe stuff. Uh, it seems what everyone's having an issue with is flavoring. You know, you have uh, one side of the fence that's doing like custom reintroduced terpene plans. And then you have the other side that's trying to actually extract the cannabis terpenes from the flower that the extract is going to be made out of. Um, and I, I suppose there are definitely benefits and pros and cons to both of those. Do you have a preference on like when, when you ingest or what you work with or anything? Well, ultimately I would prefer that if I was going to ingest a cannabis product that it be a product from cannabis. Um, even though Therefore, molecularly the, the terpenes are the same regardless of where you get them and, and all that, you just feel more comfortable with them being extracted from cannabis itself? Well, here's the, here's the interesting thing. You, say, you said it's the same, but some of the terpenes are the same and others aren't. And so what you have to understand is, you know, when you get a terpene test – from the lab on, let's say, Golden Goat. Sure. Your lab result is going to give you back the 10, 12 terpenes that they tested for. Uh, They're not going to give you the results back for the other 120 terpenes that are also in the smell that makes the smell Golden Goat. I see. So these companies are just mimicking the main spikes in these terpene profiles and kind of just kicking to the side everything else because we either don't know what they are or just don't have them? You know, at the end of the day, it depends what your goal is with the product. Right. Also, yeah. And so... Um, you know, I'm in my hand right now, I'm holding a really awesome product from uh, Mary's Medicinals, which is their new uh, CBD distillate that's made for dabbing. Mm-hmm. And if you dab this CBD, almost it's almost crystal. Um, what makes it not crystal is the terpenes that it's infused with. 
if you, because you know CBD is non-psychoactive, when you dab it, nothing should happen. Right. But when you dab this product, something does happen because of the terpenes infused in the distillate. Now, they don't need it to be cannabis-specific terpenes to gauge whether it's an indica feeling or, as we say, a sativa feeling. Right, right. Um, they just know that there's specific terpenes out there that will make it either a sativa or an indica direction. Um, and you can get very, very inexpensive um, organic plant-derived terpenes from other places and companies to infuse this with, and that's not bad. Um, but what it's not is it, it's not cannabis terpenes. Right. Um, and, and, you know, how much that matters is kind of up to you. I personally think there is a cool factor, a unique factor, and a boutique factor if you can get your hands on cannabis extracted terpenes. Because um, as far as I know and as far as I've seen, nobody – can mimic any type of, of smell of <laughs> cannabis. You name any strain or variety type you can come up with. I've never seen or smelled anything that a lab has produced in trying to mimic that smell that comes anywhere close except for, you know, extracting the smell itself from the plant itself. Right. And that's, um, I always go, I always go with like your live resins or shatters that still have the original terpenes in over distillate that's been reflavored. If, if the choice is there, like I don't, something about my taste buds and my brain, they like the way that, uh, the shatter and the live resin taste. Um, the other stuff kind of is like candy to me. Like it, it does taste fake, even if it is a strain, uh, inspired or whatever you call it. Like there, there is some sort of like, well, that's, it's almost too much, you know? Um, my, my big problem is being able to get the terpenes out without changing them to where your, you know, let's say your cold trap just smells disgusting. <laughs> and I, I've smelled people's terpenes that have tried to distill them off, and it never smells good at all. And I just kind of assume that's the something in the distillation process doing that, or it's all of them in, in one container. I, I'm not quite sure. Well, um, let's see. In two days, I'm actually going to uh, Evo Labs in Colorado where they um, have their very own grow specifically to do whole terpene extractions from. Oh, awesome. Um, and that they have a very unique whole cannabis plant terpene extraction uh, platform that they would like to show me that I'm very interested in. Um, but... It, from what you were just saying, that whenever you've seen people's whole plant terpene extractions, they've kind of smelled gross. And whenever I've extracted terpenes from cannabis plants, the end result always does smell gross. And, <laughs> and I mean, is that the I difference think, between distilling them and extracting them, or are those words kind of interchangeable there? Um, well, distillation is a form of extraction. Right, it's just okay. extracting the purest of the pure of the extraction. It's kind of like right. extracting an extract yeah, yeah. is really what distillation is. But um, what, what matters more is how you extract it because my very cheap, broke self could only afford – um, you know, an eBay version glass setup of um, at-home steam distillation. Mm -hmm. And when you pressurize cannabis with wet steam, 
what you're extracting a lot of is chlorophyll mm -hmm. from inside the plant. Right. And so not only are you getting like the specific terpenes from the trichomes, you're getting a lot of the chlorophyll from from the from the tissue of the plant body itself That's... and not just the fatty lipids of the trichomes. Right. And so when you with within my experience that when you do uh, steam distillation from whole flour, that it doesn't really work because the the heat and the moisture and the pressure uh, on the ganja itself right. versus like a dry vacuum distillation or even a CO2 distillation, um, which is what I believe uh, I may go see um, in a few days. I don't really know what their program is or if I'm allowed to say how they do what they do. Right. Probably um, not, I'm guessing, but definitely really interesting stuff. It'll be cool to see what uh, what comes comes of it. Yeah. And I, I know, like, in the, in the decarb process, some of these uh, distillation units, you can't really have it decarbing in, in the unit itself. So you're pretty much getting rid of any terpenes that may have been less volatile in that whole process when you're, when you're purging it. So I guess unless you have it in mind that, you know, I want to retain as much of the natural terpenes as possible, like, you've got to have that uh, in the front of your mind while you're doing the extractions. Otherwise, once they're gone, they're gone, you know? Yeah, I mean, that's, that's the truth and something interesting to that point that um, I think is important for people to know is, and people debate this with me all the time, okay? Um, so if you want to debate me, we can go there. <laughs> but, I would love to uh, moderate a debate like that between you and some of these other uh, scientists. Yeah, yeah, that'd be fun. I, I love getting into the debates. Um <laughs> The the thing is, is there's there's many edible companies that exist nowadays, and there's many of these edible companies that market and advertise their products being indica sativa dominant edibles. Right, right. And I'm just going to give you my debate from a scientific perspective. If you think about golden goat being a sativa and Bubba Kush being an indica. If you got them both lab tested and they both had 22% THC and 1% CBD and 0.4% CBN and they were the exact same cannabinoid profile, why does one make you feel high and the other makes you feel stoned? The well, like, like I said, it's the terpenes. Okay. Well, when you extract uh, THC oil, uh, to make edibles with, it's such a violent process mm -hmm. that the very volatile and gentle, fragile hydrocarbon chain that the terpenes are just get obliterated. Right. And when you smell CO2 oil, it doesn't, it's not like live resin because nope. the terpenes really don't maintain. And it all smells so and tastes the same regardless of strain. Well, that's the same thing with vape pens. Why vape pens don't make you high or stoned, they just get you kind of intoxicated in the middle placebo um, effect it's because it's just it's cannabinoids not terpene okay right and so if you're making edibles with your co2 oil or bho oil or whatever you've already obliterated the terpenes in the extraction method then you're going to decarb these cannabinoids by cooking them in yep. whatever product you're baking them in whether it's chocolate cookies or a lollipop, okay? You're going to heat this product up, and that's going to be another element that would burn off, you know, terpenes even more. Yep. And so at the end of the day, 
you're eating delta 9 THC, which, you know, converts into 11 hydroxy THC into right. your stomach. And it's molecularly a different um, chemical and drug than smoked flour. More potent. But what it isn't <laughs> is it's not a it's not terpenes that you're eating. Um, and so my argument is there's no such thing as a sativa or edible edible a sativa or indica inclined edible. Oh, sorry. No, <laughs> that twister. that's interesting um, you say that. It makes perfect sense unless they're reinfusing the final product with terpenes, right? Right, and that would taste absolutely Awful. disgusting. <laughs> yeah, and 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 it, it, and it's how you can know is just go to your local grocery store. And there's a section, well, in Colorado, probably Washington too, probably not in the conservative states. Sorry for you <laughs> Sorry, listeners guys. out there. But in us Vote liberal better. states and our grocery stores, we have um, uh, essential extracts that are for whatever different purposes. But if you get like the lemon extract or the lavender extract, mm -hmm. you know, if you take one or two of those drops and put it on your tongue, it hurts. Oh, it's and gross. It burns, it, and it yeah. tastes disgusting oh. because it's concentrated. It, yeah. It's, I don't, yeah. Dose That's makes gross. the poison. <laughs> yeah, I don't think, I've never seen or heard of anybody infusing terpenes into edibles. Yeah. And it, it's, uh, I find a lot of these edible companies like to use distillate because it is a higher quality. It's a more potent, I guess. I wouldn't say quality, but the potency is more and it's easier to homogenize in whatever you're making. But at that point, distillate has zero taste and smell. Like even CO2 oil and BHO oil, there is still little taste and smell from the, the less volatile terpenes, right? The ones that boil off at a higher point. Um, but distillate has none. Like, there is no terpenes if it's done right. Correct. People need to know that. Your edibles, it's all the same shit, you guys. Stop trying to be special and say that it's something it's not. I'm going to start saying mine are, mine are cannabis ruderalis edibles. So there. <laughs> Um, I have a quick yeah, question exactly. for you. Yeah. I, I'm familiar yeah. with genotype and phenotype, but there was a third one you mentioned. I've never heard that before. Kenotype? Is that chemotype. what? Chemotype. Chemo. Oh, okay. I got you. Yeah. And so, yeah, chemo is just a chemical type. Right. And okay. And so that would be your terpene cannabinoid test. Right, right. And um, actually, if you don't mind, this kind of brings me into a new um, – not nice, thanks, buddy. Um, this brings me into another thing that I I I would like to mention if uh, if I can. Yeah, absolutely. So, currently in the industry, we have chemotype, genotype, and phenotype analysis. Although nobody does phenotype analysis, but it does exist. Um, but neither chemotype, genotype, or phenotype equates to quality. And this is very important. The, the Trichome Institute is the first company in the world to develop the process, the algorithm, the calculator, and the laboratory to do cannabis quality certification via our cannabis quality uh, laboratory and process. That's awesome. What we, yeah, and, and what we're doing is we are certifying that certain flowers have a degree of quality that can be uh, measured and calculated numerically, which means there is bud for sale in the state of Colorado 
um, today. Let me see. Uh, here's some at Silver Stem Dispensary that got a uh, their sour Kush got an 89.70, which is an A minus. Um, and so, how does the grade scale break down? Like a, an A is it is what it says it is labeled as, or how how is that? Yeah, so I'm sure there's a million questions, <laughs> uh, a million questions, and. Um, I'm about to publish a three-page article on how this whole thing works. Oh, perfect! Um, and how how much uh, how much bullshit uh, cannabis cups are and, and strain <laughs> reviewers because when you are analyzing, you know the quality of a bud, you're judging it, right? Well, the question is: is who the hell are these judges? Yep. And who qualified them and certified them as knowledgeable well, in the first place? Bro, my friend put and, on the thing and he said I could be a judge. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Dude. Yeah, man. Exactly. No, as a weed okay, reviewer, so- I'll tell you it's all bullshit. Every single strain I've right. reviewed, what I've written about it as far as anything more than my personal experience, it's just bullshit. Correct. And, and your personal experience is subjective. Exactly. And. And if you're judging something intoxicated, that's not a quality judgment. Nope. And I always be Um, sure to write, like, I've been smoking for 20 years, so I don't even get high at this point. So your results will definitely vary, especially if you're new to this. (laughs) Right. And what my lab doesn't look for is how high it gets us, because uh, potency is not something that's measured by quality either. Exactly. Um, And so, you know, here's an example Let's say your cannabis cup uses only chemotyping, which is happening in Colorado right now. There's actually a really cool cannabis cup called the Grow Off, where all of the, uh, the, the clones from all of the same genetics were given to these growers to grow. Oh, nice. So instead of you just growing your own strain, yeah. all of the growers are growing the exact same genetics compared to each other. That is so um, cool. And, and then you'll, you'll see the differences yeah. between how each grower's climate and all that. Oh, that is so cool, man. Uh, it's totally cool. It's totally cool. And I believe Trichome is going to be involved with this. I'm still figuring things out. Um, because I think we're going to do our quality lab testing. Our TAG program is what it's called, Trichome Assurance Grading. Uh, but essentially, you know, if you weren't using the TAG program, what they're doing is they're measuring, you know, the, the cannabinoids and the terpenes. But here's the truth. Just because you have the most THC <laughs> and you have the most diverse terpene profile does not mean you have the best quality cannabis. What if the bud that has the highest THC and the most diverse terpenes is the worst flushed bud? Mm-hmm. And when you smoke it, it's going to hurt because it's full of salts and nutrients. Yep. What if it's got powdery mildew on it? What if it's got spider mite eggs, uh, spider mites, fecal matter, exoskeletons, <laughs> webs all over it? All Your chemotype test will not tell you those things. Nope. Okay, and so whatever the chemical constituent of a variety type is does not equate to quality and whatever the genetics are doesn't equate to quality either. Um, And so how we go about our process in a non-subjective matter is inter-rater reliability, Um, which means we have two certified level three interpreters using the same standard operating procedure 
using our calculator, which is digital, to assess uh, 12 different points that include visual aspects uh, with microscopic photography that are included in the report, oh, nice. photos of the buds, an olfactory section, and a consumption section, not for how high it gets us, but for um, the degree of the flush and the burnability and the degree of any crackling on the bud for sprays and such. All of these things are measured numerically from an expert's perspective in a sober state, calculated, and then compared to each other, and the answers come out the same. And when they don't come out the same, it's not, um, uh, it's not, it's not accurate. And so, it's, and so when we do calculate things, we are consistent with accuracy via inter-rater reliability. Our, double, our experts compare their notes, and they are coming up with the same answers as each other within a degree of five points out of 100. Um, and it's really cool. So what that means is you could stick me in a room and one of my other level three interpreters in a different room, break off two nugs from the same branch, and have us calculate what the quality of that nug is and give you a number at the end of you know, a 15-minute analysis and our numbers match, That's, even though we're not doing it yet together. That is so cool. I I want to be a level three interpreter. Uh, I also want you guys to come up with something like that that we can start as cannabis reviewers start actually using, like on our own. That well, would be we, excellent if we well, could we standardize are, all that. <laughs> well, maybe you should be one of the first licensed uh, tag labs in Washington. Ooh, I like that. Well, you should call us after the interview yeah. because uh, we are expanding. That's excellent. Good to know, definitely. But that sounds really interesting. And it's not like I've been doing this a while and people, it's just like in the tech industry, like people get trapped inside their own filter bubbles and echo chambers and they kind of just pump each other up with the same bullshit. And as soon as someone else comes along with something that's different, they're like automatically closed down to it. Just like you said earlier, the whole belief thing. So it's really a breath of fresh air to hear some someone else talk about other other things it, it, it is really cool Tag. thank you brother i appreciate that you guys are doing cool work um, out there definitely well yeah and you know just to kind of finish up on on the tag thing not mm-hmm. necessarily the process but like what's the point uh the point is is we are having quality certified bud in the marketplace, which is business diversification that um, kind of separates the good businesses from the bad. And it encourages other businesses to produce high quality product that is well flushed and isn't sprayed so that we're encouraging the industry to produce better quality um, products for the sake of consumer safety, health, and pleasure. Yeah, it raises um, the bar, and definitely. It, it's definitely raising the bar, but you know every every business in this industry grows the best weed, right? Um, <laughs> yep. So how do you actually prove that you really do? And this third party method helps you with that, but it also helps uh, wholesale growers and producers price pounds fairly. I was just going to say of that wholesale product should be based on quality from a third party and not whatever the grower thinks it's worth. When up, okay? up here, it's all THC-based. People just buy whatever has the highest number because that's something 
easy to point to on a label when people come in and say, what's your best weed? Or like, oh, well, this is 32%. It's like, well, that's bullshit, first of all. Second of all, that's not your best weed. But they don't know. And if if you could offer this in a way to like the rec stores that are having to deal with finding the best weed to stock their shelves with, I think that would be epic. Well, that's what this process is for, and we need help with it uh, all around the country. So um, if anybody is like you, a a quality human being who's not afraid to learn new things um, and who's interested in learning more about this process and potentially being a licensed tag lab in your area, should definitely drop us a line at tricominstitute.com. We're also doing this tag program for cannabis cups so that we can finally make cannabis cups a real thing. But we also developed the wine spectating score for the cannabis industry. And what we can do is we can actually drive traffic to dispensaries who do have high-quality product by implementing what these scores are based on the flower into apps like Leafly and Weedmaps. So instead of seeing where every dispensary is, we can point out where the high-quality bud is live. Um, And so uh, we're publishing our scores in magazines, apps, Many other things. That is too cool. I, I can't wait for the day where you can pop on Leafly or Weed Maps or something and see like where the good weed's at, not just where the close uh, weed is at. That's that's really cool. Correct. And especially for the medical. Like that was one thing that always confused me when I moved to Washington uh, from Montana is that the rec side is held to a much higher, more regulated standard than the medical side. And it's like if the medical side is serving actual patients, shouldn't that be a higher standard? Like, give, give the rec side the moldy buds and save the good shit for the patients, you know? It, it just seemed backwards to me, and this seems like something that can definitely help fix all that. Yeah, well, I don't, yeah, I, I wouldn't get me started on the, the whole medical thing because, um, you know... No, not going to start it. I'll I'll just tell you when medical ended here, I got laid off from my lab job. So don't get me started either. (laughs) Yeah, uh, I'm going to I'm going to make a few statements that um, I'm not going to answer because we don't have time. But I will say that medical marijuana is real and true in a very serious way. But the way that my state, Colorado, goes about it, medical marijuana is um bullshit really uh we have 21 year olds who are unlicensed untrained um people who have never taken a class in cannabinoid pharmacology let alone human health who are consulting cancer patients like they're a pharmacist even though they can't really open their eyes uh some of them (laughs) not all of them um and I, I, yeah, there's no, you know, there's required lab testing for rec, but not medical in Colorado, really. Um, and at the end of the day, there's no difference between the products on this side of the store or that side of the store. The only difference is the price and the taxes. The tax, yep. um, <laughs> yeah. And do not be surprised when all forms of medical cannabis that you know in a dispensary form and setting to be federally illegal in all 50 states in just a few years. Are you speaking to a rescheduling and that will kind of put that into the pharmaceutical company's hands or just an overall medical just getting getting rid of? Well, it's already in the pharmaceutical company's hands. I mean, you're, we've been lied to, you know, 
for almost 100 years now. Yep. The idea that cannabis is a Schedule One because it provides no medical benefit. Like, oh, yeah, go look at the molecular structure of dronabinol, <laughs> marinol. What is that? Oh, it's THC. What does THC do? Oh, it helps medical patients this, 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 and that. So uh, what is dronabinol and marinol scheduled as? Uh, it's a Schedule Three. 1993, it was oh, moved from a two to a three, oh. and our federal government has owned the medical uh, benefits and extraction methods and medical applicability of CBD and THC cannabinoids since February 2nd, uh, 2001, when they um, patented the uh, medical aspects of cannabis, yep. uh, which they already own. And no, there's no way in hell the FDA, you know, will say that any that you know an edible is medicine because 11-hydroxy is too erratic. Mm-hmm. You're not going to say anything that you smoke is medicine because you're smoking. You know, smoking is dangerous. <laughs> yeah. And anything that's from a flower is too erratic within its polypharmacy, within mm-hmm. its cannabinoids, terpenes, and flavonoids. Um, so anything that they're going to deem as medicine is going to be, you know, controlled and specific at a molecular structure in a pill form that they're going to produce themselves. And so just like alcohol, alcohol was prohibited. Then it was medicalized. You had to go to the doctor and get a prescription for whiskey. I collect them from the 1930s. And then once the government experimented with society on what it would look like for people purchasing these substances, taxing them, found out that they could control it, they pulled it out of medicine and just produced it as adult use retail. Uh, and that's the same thing cannabis is going to do. Uh, I, I'm confident medical marijuana will be illegal very soon. It's crazy. It's in it's, the way that we know it to be now. Yeah. I, I read a book called The Poisoner's Handbook, and uh, this Miss Plum writes about how the scientists on each side of prohibition, some were, were poisoning the alcohol, and then the chemists on the bootlegger side would try to unpoison the alcohol, and they, they kept kind of going back and forth. In the meantime, all of these people that just want to get their drink on are getting sick and dying and going blind and all that. Like it, it is a very different prohibition, but in a lot of the ways it is very similar. It's very eerie. There's a, uh, there's a big plan out there, buddy. Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah. And it's, uh, it's, it's been, it's been in the planning and in the works for decades. And when you, when you get to the level of the industry that, that I'm at where you're, just knee deep in the research and the law and the legislation and the chemistry and the the history and, and the who, what, where, why, and how <laughs> everything cannabis related, you really start to get the crystal ball in your hands and the ability to see the future um, because you can just kind of start to put the puzzle pieces together and take a step back and look at the bigger picture as a whole. And that's one reason why Tricom Institute is, is so successful. Um, from an education company perspective, the, the interpreting cannabis, you know, expert perspective, uh, tagging perspective, uh, how we can fault other businesses on what they do and how they go about what they do. Um, in general, you know, we, we really understand what's happening from, from a cannabis perspective uh, and from an industry perspective. That's awesome. We need more companies like that that aren't just in it to make their quick buck in the bubble and, and, and exit. It's, it's really, really cool to see. Well, I won't take up any more of your time, Max. It, it was awesome having you. I love being able to chat with people like you in, in this industry doing that stuff every day. It's so interesting. Um, thank you, man. Cool. Well, thanks so much, brother. And uh, yeah, definitely hit me up at the end of the show and we'll uh, keep the conversation moving. Yeah, absolutely, man. Thank you, Max.
Max Montrose, president and founder of the Tricome Institute. Really cool stuff. Uh, if you guys have any questions, anything like that, you know, definitely email info at hotboxpodcast.com and I can either answer them myself or get them to the people that know the stuff that you want to know. Uh, definitely check out all of my bullshit weed reviews on stuffstonerslike.com. Uh, at least enjoy the pictures. Those are real. So, uh, And then, yeah, got a, got some stuff coming out. You noticed uh, the last episode, episode 182, uh, was just a bunch of interviews. You know, I went to Montana, uh, came back on my way back. I stopped, spoke with Talon Lang, patient advocate uh, up there in, uh, in Missoula. And then, uh, yeah, we had the Imperious Expo up in Tacoma. It was basically just a, a like Canacon or uh, the Tacoma Classic, just a bunch of booths, exhibitors, all peddling their cannabis whereas and information. So uh, those are just some of the audio that was actually intelligible. Uh, but yeah, I hope you guys enjoy all that stuff. And uh, yeah, hotboxpodcast.com. Definitely check out what Max Montrose is doing and his team over at the Tricome Institute, uh, trichomeinstitute.com. That's the site. And uh, yeah, we'll catch you guys next time. Follow me on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, all that crap, all that bullshit. And we'll see you later. Peace. If you like you like this is where you need to be. If you like weed, this is where you need to be. Thank you for listening to the Hot Box Podcast.